You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. We are going through a series, kind of a verse by verse, through the book of Matthew. The series is titled, Unexpected Messiah. The reason? Well, Jesus was not what we expected him to be. Jesus came onto the scene, and he was humble. He was meek. He was lowly of heart. He came onto the scene to save. None of the Jews expected that. The Jews expected a Messiah who would come onto the scene in power, in pomp, in circumstance, in glory, and that he would set up world dominion. Why did they expect it? Well, one simple reason, the Bible prophesied it. You see, Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he is coming back to rule and to reign on planet earth. He is coming back physically. He is coming back bodily. He is coming back as a man, a glorified man, to rule and reign, God in the flesh, to rule and reign on planet earth from Jerusalem. His foot will step down on the Mount of Olives. The mountain will bow. The mountain will actually split in two, and he will set up his kingdom. Because of this, The Jews thought that Jesus, when he came, was going to do that. They did not realize that he would first come the first time to pay the price of our sins, to cleanse us, to forgive us, that we might have the righteousness of Jesus Christ given to us as a free gift to all who call upon him. They didn't understand that. And because of that, they didn't understand his ministry. The Bible shows its heroes, warts and all. There was a man, a hero of the Bible, his name, John the Baptist. And today we are going to look at him and we are going to see his faith is being rocked. Jesus was not what he expected him to be. And because of that, his faith is shaken. Jesus has disappointed him and he's doubting Jesus. The title of the, this morning's message is, When Jesus Disappoints. Have you ever been disappointed by Jesus? Oh, if you are a real follower, and you've been following for very long, oh, then I'm sure that you have. John is at a point in his life when he's disappointed by Jesus. And I find that encouraging, and here's why. Because we can be real with God. We don't have to toe the party line and put on a fake fake smile. Oh, everything's fine. Praise the Lord. Just pretend. No, 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 no. We can be real with God. And here in this chapter, what we're going to see is John the Baptist being very real with Jesus. Coming to him and saying... I'm confused. And some would say, why is this story even in the Bible? Wouldn't it be better to leave out a story of one of God's heroes doubting? It's in there. Because even one of God's greatest men had doubts. And we will have doubts too. And when we do, what are we to do with our doubts? We're to bring them to Jesus. You read Bible commentators on this chapter, Matthew 11, and some Bible commentators will say, well, John the Baptist, he wasn't really doubting. What he was doing is sending his disciples to Jesus so they could see how strong Jesus is. And and he was doing it for the disciples' sake. And to that I say, hogwash. Nonsense. John is doubting and he's struggling. And uh, we too will, will struggle at times. So with that rambling introduction, let's look at Matthew chapter 11. And uh, let's pick up there. Are you there? Bible's open. Matthew 11. If you're there, give me a big amen. 
Now it came to pass, when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples, you'll remember last week we looked at it, Jesus sent the 12 disciples out. They had always come thinking, oh Jesus, we came to hear you teach. We came to see you preach. We came to see you do miracles. Jesus said, no, 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 not today, guys. Today you're preaching the sermon. And he sent them out into the towns to preach the gospel of the kingdom. And they did. And people got saved. And they were in awe. And they came back. Wow, it was amazing. And now this is right after that. And Jesus, he finished commanding his 12 disciples. He departed from there, from Capernaum, to teach and to preach in their cities. That's the cities of Capernaum. He left where he was sending them out. And he went into the cities himself. Verse 2. And John, that's John the Baptist, had heard in prison about the works of Christ. And he sent two of his disciples. And he said to Jesus, Are you the coming one? Or do we look for another? Are you the Messiah? Or did I blow it completely? Are you the one the Bible speaks of? The one that I was proclaiming? Or did I mess up? And is everything messed up? Are you the Messiah? Are you the coming one? Or, we should, or should we look for another? John is doubting. Jesus has disappointed him. This isn't what he expected. Earlier in the back book of Matthew, when we began our study, chapter 3, many months ago, John the Baptist was at the zenith of his ministry. Oh, God was moving. God had called John to be a prophet to the people. A forerunner of the Messiah. And God had richly blessed John's ministry. All kinds of people were coming out to hear John preach. Huge crowds were gathering. And John's message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that mean? Well, repent means change the course of your direction. Think about where you're going, examine it, and get on track with the Lord. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that mean? We're going to go to heaven one day? No, 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 no. Heaven has come to us. The Messiah, God in the flesh, is here. He's dwelling among us. John hadn't met Jesus yet, but he knew he was called by God to be the forerunner, to be the prophet who would proclaim the Messiah was coming. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit. For 400 years, the prophet's pens had ran dry. There was no divine revelation coming to God's people. And now there's a preacher. He's in the wilderness. He's teaching. And it's amazing. The Holy Spirit is moving. People would hear him preach and they were like, oh my gosh, God was speaking through him. This is the word of God. Come and see. And crowds were coming. John was, had people coming from all over and his ministry was flourishing. God's hand was upon him. Not only that, John was baptizing people baptizing people where do you get the idea to baptize people well god told me to he was baptizing him what was he what was he doing he was saying hey listen i baptize you with water all i'm doing is getting you wet but there's another he's coming he's coming after me he's here i'm waiting for him and when he comes he will baptize you not with water but with the holy spirit i submerge you in water He'll submerge you in the Holy Spirit. He is amazing. He's God in the flesh. And He's coming. Repent. Get your life in order. And get ready for Him. And so that was His message. He didn't mince words. He called sin, sin. And He called sinners, sinners. I love that about John. Oh, would to God that more people today would call sin, sin. And sinners, sinners. He wasn't speaking flattery words. He wasn't trying to pump people up. He wasn't some cheerleader as if God needs a cheerleader to motivate people. No, 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 no. He was telling the truth. He was proclaiming God's word. God needs no cheerleader. And he called sin, sin. And he called sinners, sinners. 
I love that about John. John was not moved by peer pressure. He was not moved by public opinion. He was not moved by the rich and the powerful. He boldly taught God's word regardless if people liked it or not. And God used him powerfully. And John's fame grew so much that even the religious leaders came to see what was going on out in the wilderness. There's this crazy guy out there. He's dressed in camel skin. He's eating locust and honey and other weird stuff in the wilderness. Chomping on lizards, I don't know. Just doing weird stuff. But man, when he preaches, it's God's word. And so the religious leaders, too many people coming, they had to go see for themselves. They come to one of John's baptisms. And when they do, they think, maybe we can get John on our team. And John sees all the religious leaders coming. And do you remember what he says to him? Says to them, they pull up in their polished limousines with all their pomp and circumstance. And John the Baptist says, you bunch of snakes. Who warned you to flee the wrath that is to come? God's wrath. Go forth first and show fruits worthy of repentance. And then come back and get baptized. What's that, John? Yeah, you don't even know God. Go first and, and, and repent of your sins, then come and get baptized. John didn't mince words. He called sin, sin, and he called sinners, sinners. I want you to know, that would have been hard to do. Imagine, it would be like John speaking to the powerful religious leaders of his day who wanted to get John on their team. Hey, John, why don't you come be part of us? It would be like Billy Graham, like John Piper, like Chuck Smith coming and saying, Hey, you want to come be on our team? And John the Baptist says, Not a chance. Your team is rancid. Now, by the way, I am not speaking against Chuck Smith, Billy Graham, and John Piper. Great men of God. I'm only trying to give you a visual of what was going on. John wanted no part of it. Why? Because he wasn't swayed by public opinion, by his own fame, by his own promotion. No, he was proclaiming the Word of God. And he did not mince words. And he told them, he said, Listen, you guys, the axe is already laid to the root of the tree, to the trunk of the tree. What's that? Yeah, the Messiah is going to come and he's going to chop you down. The axe is laid to the root of the tree, and every tree that does not bear good fruit will be thrown into the fire. And every tree that does bear good fruit, oh, it'll be gathered into his barn. Oh, and he was giving a stern message, man, and they, uh, they knew what John was saying. Would to God we had more Christians like John the Baptist today who took a stand for righteousness and do not capitulate to be liked or to be popular. I wonder, in a group this size, oh, I have to know that it just happens, like how many of us have not stood for truth because of peers? We don't stand for truth when we talk about marriage, when we talk about sexuality, when we talk about sin, when we talk about gender, when we talk about parenting, when we talk, oh, we capitulate because we, John didn't. He stood for truth. And because he stood for truth, John got himself in trouble. Herod, the governor of Rome, the son of Herod the Great, an incredibly powerful man, had taken his brother's wife, committed adultery with her, and took her for himself to be his wife. And he came out to see John one day and what was going on. And instead of John the Baptist rolling out the red carpet, John the Baptist spoke the truth. And he said, Herod, 
you are a wicked man. You need to repent. And you need to give your brother's wife back. And he called him out. And because of that, Herod and Mrs. Herod, Herodias, were pretty upset. And they threw John in prison. Prison is a glorified word. They threw John in a dungeon. I've been to the place where John was put in the dungeon. It is more like a hole. It is dark, it is dank, it is gross, and they throw John in. They would have killed John right away. They were so mad at him, but they couldn't kill him. Why? Because the people liked him so much. His fame was so great. And so they throw him into prison and they leave him there. And John has been in prison now for a long time when we read these words that we just read in Matthew 11. He's been in prison at least 12 months, probably closer to 18 months. That's a long time. And he's withering. And he's shriveling inside. You see, John is an outdoorsman. John is an adventurous spirit. John is a, a man who is meant to be outdoors, but now is locked up in a small, vile dungeon in stocks, locked in, and he's, well, he's crumbling on the inside. He's a prophet who cannot preach. He's a Bible teacher who cannot teach. He's an outdoorsman who can't be outdoors. And he's shriveling inside. And like a criminal, he's chained in this dark, dank pit. And yet he's done nothing wrong. He's devoted his whole life to serving God. And now his ministry and his career and his life are collapsing. Jesus, what's going on? Where are you? Why are you silent? Lord, I'm weary. I'm just, why aren't you helping? I'm so disappointed. And you know what's amazing? We have no record in Scripture of the 18 months when John was in prison that Jesus ever came and visited him one time. Jesus, I was your forerunner. I was proclaiming. I sent all my disciples to you. I let, I, Jesus, where are you? You ever been disappointed by God? You ever been hurt by God? John was hurt. You see, difficult circumstances and unmet expectations can cause us to doubt God. And that's where John was right now. Incredibly difficult circumstances. His expectations of what Jesus was going to do. Set up his kingdom. Jesus, I said, you were going to chop down the trees. You were going to burn them in the fire. You were going to set up your kingdom. But where are you? Nothing is happening. Where are you, Lord? Why am I in this rut? Difficult circumstances have left John the Baptist with doubts about Jesus. Unmet expectations have left John with doubts about Jesus. And if I know anything about the spirit world at all, I know this, that the devil comes along at these times and puts the screws to John. John, where is your God now? He does not love you. You are worthless, John. You don't please God. Your life is worthless. Look at this. Even God has given up on you. Why don't you just give up and die? Why don't you just quit? Ever been there? Ever been there? Ever wondered what God is doing in your life? God, why are you silent? Why is this God of love 
sitting still as I sit here and squirm in pain and agony and he does nothing. He won't even come and visit me. Ever been there? I have. I was fairly late in life in coming to Jesus. I did not come to Jesus till I was 28 years old. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I knew nothing about him. At 28 years of age, he got a hold of me and bam, I was born again in one day. My life completely changed. I mean, he just got a hold of me. And I began to follow him and learn of him and I was in awe. And I had a Yamaha dealership. My wife and I did. It was pretty successful. We were making a lot of money. And I felt this calling to go into ministry from the day I got saved. I can't explain it. I was too embarrassed to tell anybody, but I knew it was there. And so I said, Lord, if you want me to sell the dealership, I'll sell the dealership. And sure enough, a guy comes in off the street and says, hey, I'd like to buy your dealership. I had not listed it. Guy just came to me. We made a deal. I sold it. I started studying the Bible full time, 40 hours a week studying the Bible. I went to Bible college, a little podunk Bible college, unaccredited, thinking, uh, you know. I began serving in a church. God began to bless my service. I began teaching. God began to bless the teaching. Ten years went by. I'm doing ministry on my own dime without a paycheck. I can't do it any longer. At about the sixth year mark, I said, hey, I kind of need to start getting paid. Oh, we'll bring you on staff. Just wait a little while. Okay. Four years go by. Nothing. Nothing. And I remember one night being incredibly depressed thinking, God, I must have misunderstood your calling on my life. I mean, I'm super thankful. I'll always believe in you, but I totally blew it. I guess it was a foolish thing I did, selling that dealership. What a mistake. And I remember driving off in my truck late at night and having thoughts of driving it off the road. Parking on the side of a deserted dirt road, crying out to God. Where are you? Feeling like even Jesus doesn't want to use me. This is where John is at. Difficult circumstances. Unmet expectations. John is feeling like a failure. Battling depression. Wondering what he did wrong. And he sends two disciples to ask Jesus, Hey, Jesus, are you the Messiah? Or did I totally miss it? Did I misunderstand God's calling on my life? Where are you and what is going on? Jesus, you're not what we expected you to be. Where is your kingdom? Why is this wicked Roman Empire still ruling? Why am I in this dungeon despairing life? Jesus, your teaching is great and all. But nothing is happening. I'm suffering. And evil is prevailing. And I do not see you delivering or doing anything. Jesus, where are you? Jesus, where are you? I want you to notice something here super important. John is depressed. He is doubting. His heart is broken. But I want you to notice something. Even in his doubts, he still turns to Jesus for answers. His faith is still in Jesus. John does not go to Herod to cop a plea. Hey, Herod, buddy, that thing about you and your brother, just kidding. Uh, think we could work something out? No, he doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't go to the religious leaders. Hey, guys, you know what? Bunch of snakes. I didn't mean it. It was just a joke. Do you think I could still have that job? Do you think you could work out a deal for me? Do you think you could help? No, he doesn't do that either. 
He trusts in the Lord with all his heart, and he does not lean upon his own understanding. In all his ways, he acknowledges Jesus, and he goes and he sends guys to Jesus and says, Jesus, I don't understand. I need more guidance. I don't understand what is going on. I need more light. Have you ever cried out to God for more light? You've got a relationship that you don't know why it is the way it is. You're, got, you're still single after all these years. You don't know why. You're just wondering. You've got this job situation. You've got this financial situation. You've got a prodigal. And you're wondering, Lord, how long? I need more light, Lord. I need more light. I need to know what you're doing. I need to get on board with you. That's what John is doing. It's a great prayer. It's a great prayer. Jesus, I need more light. Are you the Messiah? Or did I mess up? Help me, Lord. Help me. After first service, I had a man come to me. I was just traveling through. We saw the tent. We came. I'm from Arizona. I want you to know your message spoke to me incredibly. You see, 21 years ago, I lost a four-year-old son. I've been mad at God ever since. I hated him. He disappointed me. I don't know why my son at four years old died of cancer. But Jesus has brought me back home to him. And he's calling on Jesus. Amazing story. Made me cry. John is still doubting, but he turns his doubts to Jesus, and he knows that Jesus is still the answer. And, and he says, Jesus, I need more light. I need more light. Great prayer, by the way. Right here, we want the Bible to say that Jesus, John sends his guys to Jesus. John's confused. He's hurting. He needs your help, Jesus. Are you the one or should we seek another? We'd like the Bible to say Jesus dropped what he was doing. He came to John, visited him in prison. He comforted him and spoke tender words to him. And then he issued a command, chains be broken and the stocks fell off and the prison doors opened and miraculously John was delivered. We'd like the Bible to say that. It doesn't. It would if it was written by man. But it wasn't. It was written by God. And so the Bible says none of these things. What does it say? What did Jesus do? Well, let's look. Verse 4. Jesus answered and said to them, that's to the disciples of John, go and tell John, that's John the Baptist, the things which you hear and the things which you see. Oh, here's the setting. Jesus is teaching. Tons of people around. He's preaching. That's what he does. The most life-giving words. People are getting saved. People are getting healed. The disciples have to wait until after the service is over. They come up to Jesus and he says, Listen, tell John the things that you saw, the things that you heard. Verse 5, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the diseased are cleansed, the deaf they hear, the dead are raised up to life, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Well, they've got the right message, even though they have no discernment, they've got the right message. 
I'd like you to circle some words here. Look at the personal pronouns that they are there that are who Jesus is talking about. The blind, the lame. Circle the leper, the diseased, the deaf, the dead, the poor. You go and tell John, this is what is happening. You go and tell John, this is my ministry. You go and tell John, this is what God is doing. And blessed is him who is not offended because of me. What's that? What are you doing, Jesus? What is happening here? What is Jesus doing? Jesus is pointing John back to the Bible. Back to the Bible. I want you to know something. Jesus did not fix any of John's problems. Jesus did not change any of John's circumstances. Jesus did not physically appear to John. Jesus did not deviate from God's will to fit and to meet John's expectations. Instead, Jesus pointed John back to the Bible. Back to the Word of God. What's that? How's that? Yeah, well this, verse 5, that's exactly what the Bible predicted the Messiah would do. 700 years before Jesus ever came, Isaiah spoke of what his ministry would be. And Jesus is quoting from Isaiah 29. On your screens, take a look. Isaiah 29, 18. Let me hear you read. Let all of North County hear you read. In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of the book. And out of obscurity and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. Wow. This is the ministry of the Messiah. In that day, when the Messiah comes, the deaf will hear the words of God. Those who couldn't hear God speak to them, even if God stood right in front of them, which is all of us, by the way, they can't hear that small, still voice. Suddenly, they're hearing it. Those who have no discernment, those who are in obscurity, living in darkness, those who can't see the, the, their hand right in front of their face, those will have their blindness lifted and they will see the work of God in their life. Go and tell John this is what's happening. Let's read the rest of the verse. Verse 19. The humble also shall increase their joy in the Lord and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Not the privileged and the elite, the rich and the famous, even the poor among men will have the gospel preached of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. They'll be invited in. God is no respecter of persons. He comes and he ministers to the down and out. And oh, how amazing. This is what I'm doing. Go and tell John everything that was prophesied about the Messiah is happening. I am the Messiah. He is my forerunner, and trust in that, God's plan is happening. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, John, and blessed is the man who is not offended because of me, Jesus. Wow. Wow. And John's guys go back with that message. Blessed is the man who is not offended because of me. What does that mean? Well, blessed is the man who doesn't quit when living by faith is hard. Blessed is the person who doesn't quit when life is not fair and you don't understand why life, why God has given you a hard blow. Blessed is the man who does not quit because God did not do what he thought God should do. Blessed is the man who does not quit when we face 
incredible hardship. Blessed is the man when that marriage goes through this and that person doesn't say, well then the heck with this. Blessed is the one who is not offended because of me. I'm the Messiah, John. I'm doing everything I said I would do. My plan has not changed or deviated. Just because you did not understand it doesn't mean it's not happening. Who is this who denies my providence by your ignorance? Ponder that. Blessed are those who are not offended because of me. Amazing. I want to remind us of a simple truth. That we exist to glorify God. God does not exist to glorify us. If we put ourselves first, we become such selfish creatures. There is a false gospel that is out in the world right now. It's that God wants you to be rich, prosperous, and happy, financially rich and happy. And it reduces God to being your servant. If you do this, God will do this. And you can command God and you can regulate God and you are in charge. Command it. Name it. Claim it. And they are just making merchandise of you. They know that we're prone to love money. And they say, oh, you want more money? Well, then give God money. And he'll give you money. But do you know how shallow that is? Do you know how lame that is? Do you know how perverse that is? You see, God is not our servant. God is not on our team. We are on His team. And we are His servants. And if we live for selfishness, we become really these wretched people. And yet God has called us to live for so much more. If we put ourselves first, we become this, these carnal, deplorable creatures. But if we put God first, He builds us into amazing creatures. Our character grows. Our ability to love grows. Our ability to be a builder of men, builder of other people, grows. Our ability to have wise counsel and discernment grows. Our ability to speak a right word at the right setting grows. Apples of silver, like setting in, in settings of gold, is a word fitly spoken. How's that? What's that? Well, you might have a teenager, 16 years old. The world is caving in. There is a wrong path. There is a direction they're heading and a word of wisdom and knowledge and discernment would change the course of that path. But if you live for yourself, you'll never have that word. God is trying to do something in us. He's trying to make us something more than just a creature who loves itself. A creature who instead is in the image of God and is able to love selflessly. There is something significant. There is something profound. We do a lot of marriage counseling as pastors. You know one thing that I hear frequently in marriage counseling? Oh, a couple comes in. Well, we don't want to stay married anymore. Really? Yeah, just not working out. Really? Yeah, irreconcilable differences. Really? Tell me about them. Well, here's what they are. He's just not meeting my needs anymore. She's just not meeting my needs anymore. They're just not meeting my needs anymore. Hit the brakes. Put it in park. Let's think for a moment. Got a question for you. If you'll only stay in a relationship to get your needs met, who are you really loving? Answer? How shallow is that? 
You see, God is trying to create us and build us and turn us into something far more significant than a shallow, selfish pig. He's trying to conform us into the image of Jesus that we might have wisdom and discernment and ability to actually give life to others as we give the life-giving, profound words of the Bible as Jesus lives and dwells in us. Oh, how amazing. There's a man in the Bible who demonstrates this so well. His name? Job. He had become something significant. He had become something marvelous. He had become something that God was proud of. The Bible tells us that Satan had to appear before God one day, checking in, reporting for duty. That might be surprising to some of you, but God is sovereign over all things, even sovereign over Satan. And Satan comes to give his report before God, and God says, what have you been doing? He says, well, I've been coming up here and ordering my troops around and going down to earth and ordering my demons around and wrecking havoc all over the place, going to, you know, God says, okay. And God asked him an interesting question. He said, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on all the earth. He's a righteous man. He's a selfless man. He's a godly man. And Satan answers, are you kidding? Have I considered him? Yes, I've considered him. And yes, he worships you. And yes, he praises you. But he only does so, he only loves you because you've put a hedge of protection around his life. And nothing can touch him. I've tried to get at him. You wouldn't let me. Yes, I've considered him. But I tell you what, if you quit blessing him, if you quit, you've blessed his business, you've blessed his house, you've blessed his children, you've blessed his marriage, you quit blessing him and he will curse you to your face. Here it is verbatim, quote for quote in the Bible. Satan says, skin for skin, All that a man has will he give to save his own flesh. You touch his stuff and he'll curse you to your face. And God says, no, he won't. He's a man of substance. I've built him. And Satan goes and he touches all of God. And you know the story. You see, that's what God is trying to build in you and in I. We are His workmanship. You are His masterpiece. You are His painting that He wants to hang over His living room. Oh, no, no, no. It's far more deep than that, but I need to give you something. You are the picture He puts on His refrigerator. You are the sculpture that He is sculpting, and He is a master sculptor. He wants to build you into something significant. Not someone who would just lie and cheat to get whatever you want so you can prosper and you can step on people to get it and you can act like you love them when you don't. You're just using them. That's deplorable. But that's, what's, that's who we are. And he says, oh, I want to take you and I want to turn you from a pig into a prince. From a child of the devil to a son or daughter of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And beloved, that is what we are. Now we are the children of God, but it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we will be transformed. We will be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. This is His work. This is what He's shaping. And John, John the Baptist, yeah, I know it's difficult. Hang in there. I'm building you. I'm creating you. And this is my work. This is my work. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. John's plight was not going to improve. So Jesus realigns John's vision. John, I am the Messiah. 
He points him back to the Bible. I am the Messiah. Everything the Bible said is happening. My plan has not changed. You are in my hand. You are my forerunner. You are my guy. I am pleased with you. You're my guy. I'm the Messiah. Now keep the faith. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. A gentle yet firm warning to John. John, be careful. I'm not the God you think I am. I'm not the God that you would be if you were God. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than you, John. Now keep your eyes on me and don't turn to the right, to the left. And something very interesting happens. John's disciples, the two of them, they go back to tell John... Everything that happened in the Bible is happening. He is the Messiah. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. And they walk off. And Jesus does something most fascinating. By the way, when John's disciples come to all of Jesus and his disciples, and they say, hey, John's really struggling. He's doubting. Are you the one or is there another? What do you think John's disciples, excuse me, what do you think Jesus' disciples thought? Look at those guys. Can you believe it? The nerve. Are you the Messiah? Who do they think there are? they are? Right? They probably thought a little too highly of what? Jesus, I would never say that. I just want you to know right now. I mean, I'm sorry for John and his guys. Nothing could be further from the truth. You know what happens next? Jesus reveals how pleased he is with his servant, John. How amazing. How amazing. John in his weakness, and yet Jesus reveals how pleased he is with his servant, John. Let's pick up. Uh, Where did we leave off? Um, wind's blowing my Bible all over the place. Um, verse 7. Thank you. As they departed, that's John's disciples, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John who were snickering, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? When you went out to go see John the Baptist, when you were followers of John the Baptist, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? Did you go for entertainment? Did you hear, wow, there's this crazy preacher. They put up a tent in a parking lot. You want to see? Was it just a show for you? What did you go there for? And what did you see when you went? What did you see? A reed shaken by the wind? What's that mean? A reed shaken by the wind? What's that mean? Yeah, when you went to see John, what did you see? Did you see a guy who was just blown all over? Who when, when it was difficult to say something, he would just bend and say, Oh, I won't say that. No, you didn't see that at all, Jesus says. You saw a godly man who would not compromise the truth. You saw a godly man who would not sway to popular opinion. Who would not give in in the interview when he was asked about marriage or sexuality or whatever. He said the word of God and he only proclaimed the word of God. You saw a man who stood firm for God's truth against the arrogant, against the powerful, against the mighty religious leaders. You saw a man who stood firm no matter what it cost him, even when it cost him his life. You did not see a reed blown by the wind. A reed blown by the wind? Yeah, those reeds on the side of the river that just blow back and forth. That wasn't John. Let's look what else Jesus says. Verse 8. What did you go out to see? What did you see in John? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft garments are in king's houses. They're materialistic. They're self-indulgent. 
They're trying to impress people. Did John ever do that? Did you ever see John trying to do any of that? What did you see in John? A self-indulgent man? A materialistic man? Was he doing it for the wealth so that he could live in a big mansion? Did John pull up with his chariots and his bodyguards? Is that what you saw with John? Was he trying to impress people? Hey, look at all that I have. Look how big my house is. Look at my pool. Look at my jacuzzi. Look at my Harley. Look at my, 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 my. Did you see any of that with John? Jesus is asking. No, no, no. Quite the opposite. You saw a selfless man who served God and God's people. You saw a selfless man who would not take an offering, would not take anything from anyone. You saw a humble man who was preaching in the hills to the common, simple people a pure and simple message that was powerful and anointed by God. That's what you saw. A message that gave life. What did you go out to see? And Jesus is reminding them who John really is. Verse 9. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. And I say to you, more than a prophet. What does he mean, more than a prophet? What does he mean that John was more than a prophet? Oh, let's hold on. Let's hold that thought. Let's look. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I will send my messenger before your face. Look at the personal pronouns here. I will send my messenger. Who's the my right there? My messenger. The my is God. You can write God right above that. God says, I, I, and my are God. I will send my messenger, God speaking, before your face. Who's the your? That's Jesus, before the Messiah's face. What's that? I'm going to send a forerunner before the Messiah who comes. I will send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way, God, before the Messiah. Loose paraphrase, Jesus is saying, John the Baptist was that messenger. What does he mean when he says yes and more than a prophet? He's saying John had one of the most powerful ministries that any man has ever had. When you think of the prophets in the Bible, who would you say was the great prophet? Let me hear you. Isaiah should surely come to mind, the greatest of prophets, right? Isaiah, yeah, he was a major prophet for sure. Who else? Jeremiah, very good. Who else? Daniel, very good. Ezekiel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, right? On and on we go. Mighty prophets. Jesus says, oh, not John. John even. A greater prophet. No, he's the greatest of prophets. Look what he says. Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. What does he mean, more than a prophet? Well, let me ask you this. Isaiah was a great prophet, right? Was it prophesied that Isaiah was going to come? No. Isaiah just showed up on the scene. He was God's man. But John the Baptist, was it prophesied that he was going to come onto the scene? There was a prophecy about the prophet. Amazing. And Jesus says, that's the guy. That's the guy. Jesus is affirming his ministry. Verse 11, look at this. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, I think that covers everybody, (laughs) there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. John was a bright light, man. He was the real deal. He was not in it for the money. He was not in it for fame. He was not in it for power. He was not in it to develop his own following. He was in it for Jesus. As a matter of fact, when Jesus came on the scene, you know what John said? Quit following me. Go and follow him. Imagine that. A pastor who's not trying to build his own following. He's actually trying to get people to follow Jesus. What a crazy concept. Amazing. 
And John was that man. Among men born of women, there's none greater than John the Baptist. He had a foreordained role. He was called by God. He fulfilled that role. He walked in that role. And he walked in truth. He didn't compromise. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What does that mean? He who is least in the great kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist? What does that mean? Well, hold that thought. If I forget for any reason, remind me. I don't want to forget and not, have, not teach this to you. And look what Jesus says. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. What's that? Yeah, verse 12, it gives us a reason that John the Baptist is in prison. John doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know why, but Jesus does. And Jesus here gives him the reason, gives us the reason. He says, hey, John is in prison. It's not random. It's not chance. Here's why John is in the prison. Because the kingdom of heaven suffers violence by the kingdom of darkness. There are two kingdoms in this world. They are very real. This is not a game. We are not here today to feel good about ourselves. Oh, a little positive message so I can go and do my week. Wrong. Eh, sorry. Thanks for playing. Come next week. Not at all. Not at all. We are here because there's a spiritual battle in this world. And we've been called into God's kingdom. We were, we were on the enemy's team. And Jesus called us. He says, no, no, no. I want you on my team. And now I want you to be in the work that I'm doing. I want you to be a builder of the kingdom. But there are two kingdoms and they are opposed to each other. And John is in prison because evil is prevailing. John is in prison because this darkness is real. Oh, the world that we live in, it's not. And it's, there's two kingdoms at hand. And I want you to know, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a builder of this kingdom, John is, John is being persecuted. John is going through hardship. John is suffering. And Jesus, he's going to suffer too. Do you know why? Because there's two kingdoms at hand and they're against each other. And everyone who builds God's kingdom will suffer. That's not a message the prosperity church will want to tell you, but it will make a lot of sense in real life as you walk through it. There are two kingdoms going on and they are opposed to each other and uh, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. The, this, is, uh, this is real, man. Lives are at stake. But great is our reward. Great is our reward. Look at this, verse 13. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. John was the last prophet of the Old Testament. All the prophets... And the law, they prophesied until John. What did they prophesy about? All of the law and all of the prophets, including John. What did they prophesy about? About Jesus, about the Messiah who's going to come and take away the sins of the world and rule and reign on earth one day. All of the law and the prophets prophesied till John. And look at this, verse 14. And if you are willing to receive it, he, that's John the Baptist, is Elijah who is to come. In other words, John the Baptist is the forerunner that was prophesied 400 years earlier by uh, Malachi. Uh, in Malachi chapter 3, John the Baptist is that guy. Here's what Jesus is saying. Look at this. If you are willing to receive it, John the Baptist, he is Elijah who is to come. He is the forerunner that Malachi prophesied about. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Here's what Jesus is saying. John is the prophet and I am the Messiah. And God's plan is happening exactly as God said it would. And he who believes in me will be even greater than John the Baptist. Wow, what's that? Yeah, look at that. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than me. Jesus is saying, John is the prophet. 
I am the Messiah. Now follow me and your righteousness will be even exceeding John's righteousness. For even John needed to be cleansed of his sins and needed to have the righteousness of Jesus Christ given to him. Wow, just amazing. Last point that I want to give you today is even the least in the kingdom will be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Even he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. Oh, how rich is your reward. Oh, yes, I know life is difficult at times. Oh, I know that it's hard. But look how rich the reward is of following Jesus. Just amazing. Just amazing. You know what I wish? Oh, how I wish that John the Baptist would have heard these wonderful words of Jesus that Jesus was saying about how pleased he was with John. Oh, how I wish that John could have heard the words, Oh, of men born of women, there is none greater than John the Baptist. Oh, I am so pleased with John. He has blessed me so much. I'm so proud of him. I'm so, so proud of him for how he stood for truth, for how he fulfilled his ministry. I'm so proud. Oh, how I wish that John would have known how pleased Jesus was with John's life and John's ministry. But Jesus didn't do that. And John's messengers left before Jesus said these things by Jesus' design. Why? 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 Why couldn't John hear these good words? Here's why. Because John had to live by faith just like you and I do. Just like you and I do. John had to live by faith just like you and I do. Why? Because when John the Baptist was doubting, If he was trusting in his own performance, he would never be able to make it. And so Jesus, instead of telling him how proud of him he is for his life, he says, you go tell John, the Bible's being fulfilled. I am the Messiah. He is my guy. And blessed is he who's not offended because of me. You go tell John to live by faith and to keep his eyes on me so that John's confidence was not in his own performance but in Jesus' performance. Wow. And shortly after this, John went to the stocks to be beheaded by Herod. And as he was walking to the stocks to have his head be chopped off, I'm sure these words were going through his mind. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. There's an amazing book, by the way. I highly recommend it. It's called The Prisoner in the Third Cell. I looked for it to show it to you, but I couldn't find it. I read it 20 years ago, but it's on Amazon. It's a short read. It's phenomenal. Highly recommend you read it. The Prisoner in the Third Cell. John was walking to get beheaded, thinking, Lord, give me this strength. I know you're the Messiah. I know you're fulfilling the word. Uh, Lord, I know everything is happening exactly as you said it would. And Lord, help me not to be offended because my life is ending this way. And he went to the stocks and his head was chopped off. And instantly John was taken into the presence of God, into the throne room of Jesus Christ, into the holiest of holies. And he heard and he knew and he saw how pleased Jesus was with him. And when he heard these words, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. I'm so proud of you, John. You did a great job. Way to go. Now you're home. Now you're home. This is our heritage. This is our inheritance. This is the work that he's doing in and through us. This is who he's making us to be. These things are marvelous. And they're all the Lord's work. You see, you are his poem. You are his workmanship. You are his craftsmanship. You are what he's making. This is his work. I want to leave you with just a couple more verses. We'll wrap up. Just a couple more verses. I'm going to ask the team to come back on stage. Look look what Jesus says. Verse 16. Jesus says, What shall I liken this generation? What generation? Jesus looks out to all of those who are now snickering at John a little bit. 
Jesus looks at all those who weren't believing Jesus' message, weren't believing John's message, and he says, what shall I like in this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplaces, calling to their friends, to their companions, and saying, we played flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned for you, and you did not lament. For John came neither eating nor drinking, And they said, he has a demon. The Son of Man, Jesus, the Messiah, he came eating and drinking. And they said, look, a glutton, a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. What's that? Jesus says, what can I liken you childish generation? John came and he played serious songs for you. He said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was a serious song and none of you mourned. None of you took it to heart. Jesus says, I came and I played a happy song to you. I played a really fun, catchy melody that would just make your heart dance. You're forgiven. God loves you. I didn't come to condemn you. I came to give you life. I came and brought a happy song and you wouldn't dance. The happy song? Yeah, the happy song. Oh, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who stands here among you, Jesus would say, you would ask him and he would give you living water, new life, the Holy Spirit, filling up, overflowing, giving you abundant life. A happy song. Jesus says, what should I like in this childish, selfish generation? John came with a serious song, you didn't mourn. I came with a happy song, you didn't dance. But here's what he says, but wisdom is justified by its children. What does that mean? Wisdom is justified by its children? What does that mean? Wisdom is revealed by what it produces in your life. last service I met a guy named Jared just started coming to the church for about two or three weeks a month I don't know about a month he said and he signed up to help with all the the backstage crew stuff and and, uh, love that man just getting involved getting plugged in and as I'm talking to him I mean the guy is just ripped he's got biceps like this he's got pecs like this I mean he looks like JC I mean just just ripped and I go, Jared, man, welcome onto the team, man. So glad to have you on board. And uh, uh, man, where'd you get those guns? You know what his answer was? Golf. I laughed too. I said, yeah, I don't think so. You see, that, that build, that only comes by pumping iron. That's the only way you can get like that. And here's what Jesus is saying. Wisdom is revealed by what it produces. You follow me. You don't get offended because of me. You get your eyes off of circumstances. You get your eyes off of your expectations. And you let me lead, guide, and direct you. I'm at work. And here's what will happen. I will build you. I will shape you. I will mold you. I will transform you. I will give you discernment. I will give you wisdom. I will give you character. I will make you a selfless lover. And wisdom will be revealed by what it produces in your life. And one day I will call you home. And I will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your joy and you will be rewarded forevermore. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.